morning, everybody. Hope everybody's blood is pumping a little bit faster today with our uh, worship. Good job with the uh, worship band. Uh, and um, if you have served uh, in the U.S. military, if you're a soldier, sailor, a Marine, a uh, Coast Guardian, uh, would you stand, please? Wow. Okay. One person standing. What's that? I didn't say that I said all of them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Marines. Marines, soldiers, whoever. All right. Um, and there's two uh, in the back there. Thank you for your service. You can be seated. As Paul mentioned in his prayer, where there's a lot of things going on in the world today. Um, and uh, we appreciate that there are people who will put themselves in harm's way to protect us. Um, but even more importantly, uh, how many of you are soldiers in God's army this morning? As we build God's kingdom, as we work to uh, honor him, to worship him, to praise him, and to build his kingdom, um, we ought to be praying for one another as well, that we can find strength, that we can find courage, that we can put ourselves in harm's way when it comes to uh, finding, seeking, and uh, leading souls to the cross of Jesus Christ. Years ago, two uh, famous authors presented very opposite but equally frightening versions about uh, what was then their future, uh, the 20th century. Uh, the first author was Aldous Huxley. Anybody read Aldous Huxley's, Huxley's Brave New World? Um, Huxley imagined that Western civilization, Western culture would be crushed by the introduction of pleasure-giving technologies that would allow us to uh, get instant gratification for things that would allow us to um, just basically be happy. Um, on the other hand, George Orwell, in his books, uh, Animal Farm, and especially in 1984, anybody has read 1984, um, he published this in 1949. He warned that uh, Western culture would be overcome by external opposition, oppression, and violence, and that is how people would be controlled. So two very different kinds of things. One, control by violence, control by oppression, and one, controlled by our passions, controlled by our desire to be happy, to be free of pain. Orwell uh, spoke of banning books. Huxley said nobody would be reading books because it wouldn't be enjoyable for them. Um, Orwell feel, feared that we would become a captive culture by, captured by unscrupulous people claiming to work for the greater good but basically lying to us all the time. Huxley feared something else, that our culture would become so trivialized that our culture would uh, be so preoccupied with pleasures that we wouldn't care what was happening in the world around us as long as we, the individuals, were happy. Orwell envisioned a culture controlled through the, uh, through the infliction of pain, and Huxley saw us being controlled by the infliction of pleasure. Orwell saw the danger of this entity known as Big Brother, um, not the TV show, the actual entity, Big Brother, was always watching and ready to inflict pain and punishment on anyone acting against 
the agenda. And Huxley said there was no need for Big Brother. Nobody had to watch because we were so self we were going to be so self-absorbed, we were going to be so self-involved that we would actually come to love our oppressors, the, this, this entity that would provide us with instant gratification and instant happiness all the time, and we would grow to love our oppression. In Huxley's book, he writes, people were ready to have even their appetites controlled. Anything for a quiet life. And we've gone on controlling ever since. It hasn't been very good for truth, of course, but it's been very good for happiness. It hasn't been very good for truth, of course. This was the culmination of what Aldous Huxley believed civilization would be like in the future. And the thing is, there was nothing different about Huxley's ideas. As we read through the book of James, as we continue this sermon series, what to expect when you're Christianing, we get to chapter 4, and James is warning Christians in chapter 4, some 1,900 years before Huxley put pen to paper. And he warns them of the dangers of pursuing worldly passions in favor of truth in favor of God's truth and God's grace and his forgiveness and even his friendship. And we're going to start by reading James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 today. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, spending it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James is talking about fighting and quarreling and war and murder, and we have to continually remind ourselves that he was talking to Christians. James was not talking about the world at this point. He's talking to churches. He's talking to Christians who are living throughout the world. This letter is for people who claim that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And there are some that think that James is speaking kind of metaphorically here. The church didn't actually have wars and murders and things like that. He's not saying that Christians actually would kill anybody over their passions. But let's think about it realistically. When it comes to our passions and it comes to our desires, the Bible is very clear. It shows a very strong correlation between wanting to go after what we want and fights and quarrels and even murder. And if you don't believe me, look at the story of King David and Uriah's wife in the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel 
chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and, came to, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. This is a very famous story about King David, David and Bathsheba. And in a panic, throughout the next part of the story, David tries to get her husband to come home and to go and be with his wife so that he can cover up the fact that he has made her pregnant. But, but Uriah was a man of honor, and he refused because he didn't think it was right that the whole rest of the army of Israel was off sleeping in tents while he could come home and be comfortable in bed and have uh, time with his wife and spend time with her and eat and drink and be merry and all of these things. He said that was wrong. He didn't do it. And David panicked even more. And what was the result of David's giving in to his passion. His ultimate solution was in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. David sent Uriah back to the battlefield with a letter in his hand that ordered his own death. That is adultery and deceit and murder, all born out of David's passions, out of David's desires. So if we think that this couldn't possibly happen, I think we'd be wrong. I mean, David ultimately repented of his sin, and his sin was forgiven. Later in Scripture, we see that David was, was called a man after God's own heart. But what caused David's fall at this point? It was his passions. He saw something. He wanted it, and he took it. And then he sinned again to cover it up. This is what James is talking about to the church in his time. And the word here in James 4 for passion is hedoneus. And that's where we come up with our word hedonism, which means the pursuit of pleasure and sensual self-indulgence. And it's the belief that, that pleasure, or more specifically, the absence of pain, is the most important thing in determining whether our actions are moral or not. If we get so hungry for pleasure, for satisfying our desires, that we would hurt anyone who gets in our way, physically or emotionally, that's okay. Because it's what we want. I want this, I'm going to take it. 
And we see this in all kinds of different ways. And we see this hedonism in all kinds of different ways. We see hedonism in the instant gratification that we get from technology. We want people to know exactly what we're thinking, so we're going to post it to social media, and then we're going to argue with anybody that disagrees with us, and we're going to be really happy with the people that agree with us. And the people that disagree with us, we're going to call them names, and we're going to try to get them canceled, and we're going to try to do all these things to hurt them. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, that's a horrible thing. But think about some of the things that we use for our own pleasure that would seem innocuous, would seem innocent. We want to order food on an app and have it magically appear at our house in 20 minutes or less. And if we don't, we're not going to tip that person and we're going to write a bad review and we're going to try to hurt that business. We want almost instantaneous and infinite entertainment options at our fingertips because we can't stand to sit for five minutes without watching something, without listening to our favorite song, without watching five minutes of Netflix on our phones while we're doing something else that we're, maybe we're not even supposed to be watching Netflix on our phones. Students in my class, We want all these things. We want this instant gratification. We have credit cards. Anybody here have a credit card? We have credit cards so that we don't have to wait to fulfill our desires. We're just going to, here, charge it. I want that 87-inch flat screen wall TV. Here you go. I'll pay for it later, maybe. <laughs> we'll worry about the, the pain of the payment later. Right now, I want the pleasure of watching the Ravens on an 87-inch screen. <laughs> we seek relationships that are often more full of lust than they are of love. All of these things, this idea of instant gratification, this idea of self-pleasure, this idea of I want what I want and I'm going to take it and I don't care who gets in my way, I'm going to push them out. This is the wisdom of the world. And this is what we talked about last week, the wisdom of the world. We have these so-called wise people in our society telling us that the number one priority, our number one priority is me. My number one priority is that I am happy. And we hear it, do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy. They might even look at you and say, you may as well do it, everybody else is. Anybody ever heard that lie before? You know, everybody else is, is cheating on their taxes and everybody else is stealing uh, cable TV and everybody else is not paying their bills and everybody else is sleeping with everybody else, so go ahead. As long as it makes you happy. Never mind that doing what might make us feel happy in the moment is eventually going to leave that happy person hurting 
because they can't get that instant gratification all the time. Or that instant gratification, just like Jesus says, turns to rust and moth and it corrupts. And we become hurt. And the truth is that hurt people hurt people. We go after people because we're not happy anymore. And we have this idea pounded into our heads that we deserve happiness. We deserve pleasure. We deserve life free from pain. Physical, psychological, emotional, mental pain. We shouldn't have to deal with any of that. And a lot of Christians have bought into that lie. A lot of Christians have bought into the happiness principle of life. We seek the wisdom of the world in this. We see how easy things can be. But we don't seek the wisdom of God. We don't seek the wisdom that tells us that this momentary happiness this momentary time where we're going to sin and do what God has told us not to do is going to destroy us. And it's going to destroy other people around us. And our Christian walk starts to show this. Think about our prayers. Many Christians believe that God wants us to be prosperous, that God wants us to be rich, that God wants us to be comfortable, that God wants us to have two homes and a two-car garage and 2.4 children and a dog and a cat and a fish. They believe that God wants us to have material possessions so that we can be happy. God does not want us to have material possessions so that we can be happy. God wants us to have whatever material possessions he might bless us with so that we will build the kingdom of God that we will use the resources that he has given us to show people the way to the cross of Jesus Christ, not so that we can sit back and be comfortable, not so that we can be happy. Happiness is a temporary emotion. It comes and goes like sunrise and sunset. That is not what God wants from us. And James says, when we pray, we're asking wrongly. We're looking to use whatever, God, whatever we're asking God for, for our own hedonism, not for the kingdom of God, not to show people the way to the cross of Christ. And he concludes, James concludes, that doing so makes us friends of the world, and it makes us enemies of God. That's James's conclusion. When we go after all of these things, we are not friends with God. We are his enemy. James calls Christians that do these things adulterous people, not adultery in the, in the physical sin of adultery. He's talking about the way we act towards God the Father. We're acting adulterously. We say we're in a relationship with God. We say that we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, except for this part. This part over here, I'm going to keep for myself. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but that's cheating on God. 
If we look at our relationship with God as a relationship, when we decide to put other things aside for our own hedonism, for our own pleasure, or we decide that we're not going to rely on God for our happiness, for our provision, we're committing adultery against God. We say we love God, we say we trust God, but then we look to the world for our happiness. We trust the world to make us feel the way we want to feel instead of trusting God to give us what we need. And James goes on in chapter 4, verse 5, because fortunately there's good news for those of us who are living in that situation. James says, do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. Did you know God is jealous? Now, it doesn't make for a great worship song. Our God is a jealous God. He reigns. He reigns from heaven. Right? It doesn't make for a great worship song, but it's true. And we're not talking about jealousy, the human emotion that's born out of envy. We're talking about God is protective of the spirit that he has put within us. He is protective of the spirit that, that, that he has put within us. And when God sees us turning to the world's wisdom and to the world's things to satisfy our human wants and needs, it saddens him. Because he wants to protect the spirit that is living within us. God has put his Holy Spirit within every person who believes that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. He has put his Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit has a lot of jobs. He convicts us of sin. He regenerates us. He brings about spiritual rebirth. He renews us. We've all heard when we come to Christ, we are new creations. That's the Holy Spirit making us new creations. He teaches us. He guides us. He empowers us to live our faith in Christ. He provides us with strength. He provides us with God's wisdom, not the world's wisdom. God's wisdom, and he provides us with spiritual gifts that we are supposed to use to bring glory to God. That's what God is protecting. God is jealous for his spirit. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to do all of these things, to, to regenerate us and to teach us and to guide us and to empower us, the Holy Spirit's going to transform our entire lives. The Holy Spirit is going to allow us to bear His fruit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the fruit of a person who allows the Holy Spirit to be in charge. They are the fruit of the person who says no to the hedonism of the world that says, no, I'm not going to count on this 
to make me happy. I'm going to count on this to give me joy. Because happiness is a temporary emotion. Joy is a state of being. And when we obey the Holy Spirit, when we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that he is meant to do within us, we experience joy. And it might not be fun. You might end up sitting in a prison. You might end up being threatened at work or at school. You might end up dead. But that joy will remain because you have allowed the Holy Spirit to empower you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to guide you. You have become a friend of God, not a friend of the world. And there's more good news for the Christian. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble your, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. God gives us grace. It is grace by which we are saved in the first place, and it is grace by which we are forgiven when we fall, when we sin, even as we are Christians. God's grace abounds for us. We get God's grace whenever we need it. And I don't know about you, but I need it every second of every day, of every month, of every year. But how do Christians avail ourselves of this grace when we're double-minded sinners with unclean hands and impure hearts? When the world says we should assert ourselves? Let's wash our hands of that and humbly submit ourselves to God. Repent of our hedonism and trust God for what we need. When the world says whatever, do whatever you want, do whatever feels good, even when we know it's sin, we can resist the devil so that he will flee from us. Resistance is a military metaphor. It's very interesting that we're celebrating Veterans Day today because this metaphor is actually a military metaphor. It means to stand against in combat. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It means that we struggle against the devil. We stand up to him and we use the supernatural tools, the supernatural weapons that God has given us. His word, his Holy Spirit power, prayer, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us individually and as a church. We use all of these things and we stand up to Satan and he doesn't like it. Because bullies don't like when you stand up to them. When you stand up to a bully, more often than not, they're going to run away. When we stand up to Satan, 
who would have our lives destroyed, he's going to run away. That's what James says. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We need to stand up to him individually. We need to stand up to him as a church. We need to stand up to him as the church universal and say, no, we are not going to live by what the world says is okay. We're going to live by what God commands. And when we resist the devil, when the devil flees from us, we draw near to God. And God draws near to us. He gives us grace, and he gives us forgiveness, and he gives us instructions to keep our hearts and our hands clean. Finally, James tells us that we should be wretched with mourning and weeping. Ew. How many of you like to mourn? How many of you like to weep? I don't like doing that. That's gross. I want to smile. I want to be happy. What James is saying is be wretched according to the world's standards. I'm not looking at you, world, to tell me what's happy, what, what makes me happy. And in fact, when you offer these things, it makes me weep. It makes me mourn. I weep for the world. I mourn for the world. They should see that. Our appearance should be one of complete sorrow at the world's wisdom. Not just because we're Christians. Not because we think we're better than the world, but because we were once the world. We were once the ones over here seeking happiness at any cost because we didn't know the source of joy. And we should weep for the world. But instead of relying on the world's wisdom to create our happiness, we should humble ourselves before God so that he can create joy in us. And when he creates joy in us, he will create in us sorrow for the world. And we will care. We will care that people over here don't know who God is, don't know God's joy, don't know God's forgiveness and grace and mercy. And we will be desperate. We will be desperate to point these people towards the cross of Jesus Christ. And we got to remember something, folks. Just like Huxley said in his book, these people are so self-absorbed. Christians can be self-absorbed, it's true. But these people have fully, wholly believed the lie that you got to look out for number one. They have completely bought into this idea of whatever makes me happy is what I'm going to do. And we've got to rely on the Holy Spirit 
to work through us, to break through that so-called happiness, to see the destruction that they are, the path of destruction that they are on. And it's not easy, and it won't work for everybody. But that doesn't mean we stop trying. This is what James is calling us to. This is what God is calling us to. And you'll notice that everything that James lists here, they're actions. They're do words. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be wretched. Mourn. Weep. Humble yourself. These are all actions that we are supposed to be doing. We are called to action as Christians. And if we do these things, submit, resist, draw near, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, be wretched, mourn, weep, humble ourselves before the Lord... There are some people in the world that are not going to be able to help but notice. Some of those people that notice will become curious. How can you possibly be happy when things are going so wrong for you? And I can look at them and I can say, I'm not happy, but I'm joyful. This situation does not make Joe the human happy, but it does make Joe the Christian joyful. And this morning we have to ask ourselves, what is our hedonism? What are those things that we are keeping from God all to ourselves to try to make us happy? Why are we keeping those? What causes us to do what is not pleasing to God just so we can experience our own pleasure and maybe avoid pain? God gives us grace. He gives us provision. He gives us joy. What more do we need? What more do we need than God's grace and provision and joy? That's the question that James would ask of the people who are reading his book, his letter. You've got God. What more do you need? Because in the end, when all of this goes away, You're not going to be carrying anything before God except yourself. If we are friends of God, we get to spend eternity working in His kingdom and worshiping Him as He deserves. 
we get to spend eternity full of joy. We get to spend eternity where there are no more tears. There is no more sorrow. There is no more mourning. There is no more weeping. There is just us and God. How can we want anything else? Jesus said it. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness because God knows what we need and he will provide what we need, not necessarily what we want. Sorry, 87-inch TV. Going to have to watch the Ravens on something else. But he's going to give me what I need every single day. And he's going to give you what you need every single day. Are you willing to put away all of this in order to experience this? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the joy that you offer when we live lives that are pleasing to you. Father, we, we, we understand the truth that living a life that is pleasing to you will bring us pleasure. But so often we look for pleasure elsewhere. We look for pleasure in places we have no business looking. Father, forgive us for not trusting you. Forgive us for not looking to you for our provision and for our happiness and for our joy. Help us to identify all of those things that we are keeping apart for ourselves that we have no business keeping. Let us let go of those things. Let us look only to you for everything that we need. And Father, we thank you that when our time on this earth is through, that you promise no more sorrow, no more tears, no more wars, no more fights, no more quarrels. You promise joy. Father, give us the Holy Spirit so we can claim your joy, so that we can put away the things that make us friends of the world and enemies to you. Make us your friends. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A man approached Jesus Christ and said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Jesus replied, why do you call me good? There is none but the Father in heaven who is good. Seek God and his kingdom. Because ultimately, none of this is good. God bless you this week.